Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome Titans, Warlords, Enforcers, and all my new listeners today. I'm bringing you the creepy. First up, I've got creepy-licious poetry involving a haunting, a box whose power adapts to its user, a man who cheats life, and the ghosts of a haunted mound. Strap your lovely selves in and enjoy today's set of four creepy tales. Not for little ears, as one of these tales covers suicide as a theme, so keep those little ears away. Now, turn off those lights, turn up the sound, and get ready for something special just like you. Enjoy. Go to sleep, child. What's wrong, my child? Oh, could it be that the shadows on the walls become monsters that you see? Just a trick of the mind. No need to fuss. Just settle down, and please, dear, do hush. It's the third time this week that you've said there were ghosts and creatures that lurk in search of a host. You've seen too many movies, read too many books. Our house is safe from killers, yes, even one with hooks. I know that it's raining, I know that it's cold, but that noise in the house, remember, it's old. Go to sleep, child. No, I need to sleep too. Please relax, sweetheart. Nothing will come get you. Okay, fine, I'll stay with you here tonight. And now, are you ready? I'll turn off the light. See, there's no monsters. See, there's no frights. You will not wake up with big, scary bites. From creatures that scurry, scamper and crawl. From beings that live inside of our wall. Although, do you see that? No, it must be a trick. I thought I just saw something, but it vanished real quick. What do you mean that what I saw was real? You saw it too? You say it wants a meal? I think being here is starting to spook me. But I know I won't be eaten just like I'm a cookie. I'll just ignore that shape in the window. I'm certain it's just the trees when the wind blows. But wait, did you hear it? That was a moan. And now there's a voice. Okay, no, no, no. I know there's no monsters under the bed. There's no creatures lurking. Nothing wants us dead. Just settle down, hon. Morning comes soon. But then there's tomorrow. There'll be a full moon. Now I feel chills. Let's just try and rest. Don't you think that that'll be best? Yes, that's it. Close your eyes tight. And avoid having nightmares with all of your might. But I am still awake. For how can I slumber? when I just saw something from under. The bed where we sit, the bed where you sleep, I saw its red eyes, but it didn't make a peep. No, I'm just paranoid, I had too much coffee. I'll just try and pretend that there's no hand now on me. Oh, it was you? What was the matter? Could you not sleep with all of my chatter? I'm so sorry, sweetheart. Don't let me wake you. Just dream of bright sunlight against a sky that's blue. Get some rest for me, for I know I won't 
trust me, I do want to. It's not that I don't. But I see a figure sitting in your chair with skin very pale and dark stringy hair. With fingers so long, with eyes black as coal. It's like there's nothing in the sockets, just two small holes. Still, she's staring at me. I don't know what she wants. Who is she? Why did she die? Why is it your room she haunts? But we'll be alright, my child. For I think I have a plan. Tomorrow, my dear child, we'll go sleep at Grant's. Ghost of the Mound I always had an interest in things deemed creepy or paranormal to the rest of society. Reading creepy stories on the internet and constantly getting books about ghosts from my parents. I lived in a small town or rather a village. It could fit into one square mile. You have likely never heard of it though. Gnadenhutten was its name. It was, or rather is, in northeastern Ohio. I lived there for about a decade, maybe a little longer. It is a quiet town, where a lot of elderly spend the rest of their days and a relatively safe place for families with children to grow up in. My family moved there from a city up about 40 minutes to an hour's drive north to escape some family issues when I was eight. I won't go into those details though. They aren't very important to what I witnessed. You see, I essentially became the town's paranormal investigator. I was still an amateur, with the most equipment I had being a notebook, my hand-me-down Nintendo DSi camera and my instincts. The facts still stood firm though, and the less than accepting natives of the town shunned me more and more as an outsider than previously. I'm sure you probably wonder why I'm telling you about all this. Well, it's not to raise awareness about it or anything much of what happened to me that day. Besides the village cemetery, there is an area with rebuild of certain wooden houses, a mound, a museum, and a tall obelisk monument. The mound in particular is very important, I'll explain later. Four days after I write this will be another anniversary of an important event here. It all started with my older brother. He was visiting myself, my mother, and my siblings. I'm the second youngest girl out of all of us, from the city I mentioned earlier, since we'd recently begun fixing ties to him. I hadn't seen him in nearly ten years, nor had I remembered seeing my mother so happy. Something my brother said made me wonder though. He said the entire town had really bad karma, but I didn't think of why he'd say that until later. My older sister was notorious for riding around the entire town on her bike then doing the same by walking when the weather wasn't good enough for it. However, one late autumn evening, she was walking by the historical site alone when she heard a whisper in her ear. She looked everywhere, but found no one there. Another time, a strange orb chased her away, almost describing it as the will-o'-wisps of Scottish folklore. She refuses to go near it at night now, and is wary of it during the daytime even. That's when I decided to become a paranormal investigator. I wanted to find explanations to these occurrences. As I said, I didn't have any other equipment besides my DSi camera and a notebook, so I was unsure of whether or not I was going to be able to get anything. 
I went in the evening on Saturday, March 2nd, with a notebook and DSI in my bag. It was nearly twilight when I got there. I wasn't exactly prepared for what would happen. As I went in thinking nothing, not skeptical but not jumping at the first thing that happened and deem it paranormal, something just didn't feel right with the ground underneath my feet when I got to the edge of the fenced-in mound. I thought that rodents were tunneling near the mound since they're almost abundant around here. Then my foot would only sink in one place. That wasn't the case though. The snow had melted and the ground was supposed to be frozen, but it felt more like it had downpoured all day and turned to mud that would squish under your feet with every step. I didn't think too much about it though. I was too focused on taking images with my DSi. Then things began to pick up. I don't think my ears were deceiving me when I heard a faint song, a hymn echoing in the approaching night. I could feel the slight chill run up and down my spine like a small avalanche collapsing. Stay calm. Stay calm. I kept telling myself that phrase over and over again, though my mind and body weren't on the same page. Already, I was shaking. How pathetic. I look a shaky deep breath before I manage to utter, Who is singing? I got no answer, and the echoing song faded. It was calm for a bit, nearly peaceful, but it never was peaceful here. I'd soon understand that. I was about to go home, where my apartment was on the other side of the village, though the sound of a humming child stopped me in my tracks, coming from behind me. My arms only shook worse. If you saw me, I'd be shivering as if I were in the Arctic without a coat. Or a better visual, Scooby-Doo after seeing a monster. I didn't know what I should do, so I turned to face the sound. There was a light mist over the mound, almost like smoke, but not quite. It was almost as if it had some sense of a form. Small, thin, human. As I stared, it took more and more of a definitive shape, that of a little boy. The impression of dark eyes staring into mine, sad and full of grief, his black hair caked in blood. The deerskin clothes had a few blood splatters too. He must have been one of the victims. The figure suddenly vanished. I felt a terrible pain in my head, up around my scalp. My hand would have reached up to the pain, but I was scared still. I couldn't move, not an arm, not a finger, not a single blink. My blood felt cold when a bitter blast of wind blew through me, though the air was calm everywhere else. I stood there for a minute that felt like an eternity, before I could finally snap out of my terror. Needless to say, I was never much of a runner, but I ran all the way home that night, hearing a whisper in my ear as I exited the fence of the historical site. I don't go there anymore, as I don't live in the town now. But I'd never forget what happened that day. The morning after the incident, the caretakers found a bloody bone sticking out of the ground near where I had stood. My footprints where I was standing had a dark red hue to them, almost as if the ground was soaked in the Native American's blood. Take care in learning about the place you live in. It may be of help to avoid such things happening to you before it's too late. Why am I saying this? 
Let me explain for you. The town's founding history. Despite its looks and peace, the town was forged in death. In the late 18th century, the land was owned by a tribe of peaceful missionaries and Native Americans who had converted to Christianity, Moravian to be specific. However, other tribes allied with the British forced them out of their homes and villages scattered around. Two of the missionaries were taken to Detroit under charges of treason, though they were acquitted. The Native Americans, though, had a more gruesome fate in store. They were starving some time after they were held captive in a single town, as their rations were running dangerously low. Over 100 of them escaped back to their respective villages to harvest their crops and gather stored food they were forced to leave behind. While this was going on, and the 160 Pennsylvanian, headed by Lieutenant Colonel David Williamson, rounded the group up and accused them of being the culprits in the raid. Of course, of course the Native Americans refused the accusation, but Williamson didn't listen, and were instead convicted by a council they held. The decision was to kill them. Some left, not wishing to take part in such an act, one being reminded of a similar incident he'd witnessed. The Native Americans were thrown into two houses, one for the men, one for women and children. They sang hymns all throughout the night, as they asked for time to prepare for death. The next morning, on March 8th, 90 to 99 men and women and children were tied up in the killing houses, stunned and killed with scalping cuts. Only two boys managed to live and tell a tale. No murder charges on the militia were ever made, and now it is known as either the Naden Hutton Massacre or the Moravian Massacre. I don't ever wish to see that again, but I know I will. Things like that never leave anyone. They always will haunt me. Cheetah. Can you feel it? I know you can. That thing that when you wake up late at night shivering, it is watching. You try shutting all the doors, windows and curtains, whatever, just trying to escape the feeling thinking it's the crisp chill of the night, but you know you're wrong. You try to take pills, drink, eat, anything. It keeps you up at night though, causing you constant discomfort. It wakes you up with a hot sweat nearly every night, looking around frantically, feeling sick with fright. It gets closer as you rub your eyes, clearing them of the blur. As you do so, it gets closer and closer till you can almost smell its pungent breath over your sweaty red face. You know your time is almost up on this earth, but you don't want it to have the satisfaction of ending you. You're stronger, at least you think you are. You go to the medicine cupboard and take one last glance at your reflection in the mirror. The blinds over the bathroom mirror are swaying in the cool breeze, but the windows are all shut. Your eyes are bloodshot and bags hang from underneath them, black as the midnight sky. You caress the cold touch of the mirror as you watch his eyes widen. From the gloomy doorway behind you, a malicious smile, now on his bony face. You reach into the medicine cabinet and pull out a tub of sleeping pills. Hesitate. You remember what the people had told you. 
You can be around anything long enough to become tolerant of it. You wonder if that works with the bad memories that still haunt you to this day. That is until you perish the thought and rest your forehead against the cool surface of the bathroom mirror. Your eyes begin to tear slightly. It just watches and anticipates the ending. Almost like a brilliant horror film, the sort of stuff you used to like watching. You open the tub, taking your time. No escape now. It's closing in on you. You signal it to stop with shaking hand. Its harsh smile soon turns into frown. But it does as you say. You reach into the tub and pull out a hand of pills. They were miniature, but dosage of maximum two recommended a day. As I read on the label, you took little time to examine. Two would be too little to end your pain now. You find yourself crying uncontrollably as you pop each of your last few pills individually into the inside of your bone-dry mouth. His smile once again recovers as you find yourself choking in regret of what has become of you, struggling to swallow. A stabbing pain passes into your ribcage, then into your heart. You fall to the cold, tiled ground, drooling and cursing at the eyes of death. It watches you, mercilessly, until your eyes are blurred and you begin to drift away, your last breath of life escaping from your lungs. You see it for a little while in your head, the feeling of the darkness still lingering with its eyes, still staring. You stare at it back for a while, that is until it begins to fade away, as the dark side of your mind retreats away and a calming light is in the distance before you as the word cheater echoes in the darkness around you, followed by a deep unsettling laugh. This does not stop you from cracking a pleasant smile for the first time for as long as you can remember as you walk into the light ahead. You wake up to the safety of a hospital bed. The room is quiet and peaceful. You are at peace for the first time in a long time. At the foot of your bed stand two familiar faces, a man and a woman. You remember them as if you saw them a long time ago, but somehow they still remain vaguely on the edge of your mind. They smile warmly at you, skin pale as a ghost. You smile back feeling reassured and safe in the eyes of these people. You pull yourself from the bed, not saying a word. You feel nothing, not even the brisk feeling of your bare feet on the ground below you. You walk over to them, whom are still smiling at you. You walk hand in hand, not knowing why you trust them, but something in your conscience tells you to, not feeling the need to question your actions. You begin to walk out of the single clinic room and into the growing mist of nothingness. Don't open the box. When I was a little kid, I lived with my grandpa. He was one of those sugar-sweet grandparents who'd always give you what you wanted, although I never asked for much. The most I asked for growing up was lunch money and a ride to school. But on my birthday, He'd showered me with gifts 
I wanted since the beginning of the year. I found it a bit strange. He knew what I wanted, yet I never told him. In fact, I told him not to get me anything. I began to wonder if he'd peek in on me while I was looking at things I wanted. Well, I only say this now because today is my birthday. I turned 19 today and I was wondering since I spent the last year in college, does he still know? I wondered as I opened the door. If he does, he must have asked my friends or something along the lines of that. I walked into the first door and hugged my two grand aunts. Oh David, you've gotten so tall, they said. He's so handsome too. I bet the girls line up against the block for you. I laughed and I looked down. <laughs> Compared to all my friends, I'm actually kind of short. And I don't have a girlfriend, I said. They continued to compliment me and I smiled. Hey, do you know where my grandpa is? I asked anxiously. My Aunt Rosa said, He's up in his room. Tell him to come down here. My Aunt Betty followed with, He needs to help me use my phone. I laughed and I told her I'd help her. Thank you, David, she said as she handed me the phone. It was one of those 2006 phones. It was way outdated, but I surprisingly remembered how to use it. Okay, so just press the photo button to get the pictures, I said. They both looked at me with confusion. My phone can get pictures? I laughed and took a picture of them. They saw and were overjoyed. During this, I heard footsteps coming from upstairs. The door behind me opened and I saw my grandpa. I hugged him tightly and smiled. Hey! I said. He didn't say anything, but he directed me to outside. We walked outside. I was a bit confused. I knew he had something on his mind, but I just couldn't put my finger on what. David, I think you're old enough. My father gave this to me when I was your age, but... He stopped. I couldn't have given this to your mother. She was too brash. She wouldn't have understood why I gave it to her. Your sister's the same way. She would probably have thrown it away. He said, I've been wanting to give this to you for a while. You aren't the boy you used to be. You grew up, didn't you? You're not the same as you once were. Well, I know you want to forget about the past, but I won't let you. The reason you are the way you are is because of your past. You should be proud. You've come so far. He handed me the box and I proceeded to open it. There was another box inside of the box. It looked like a jewelry box. I tried to open it and he slapped it out of my hands. It fell on the floor with not even a scratch. And I looked at my grandfather in confusion. Don't ever open this box! He yelled. I was shaken up at this moment. I looked at my car and tried to find the keys in my pocket. Listen, there's a reason behind this rule. And you'll see why, if you open it. I was a little more confused now. He stared at the box and I picked it up and decided I should probably go home now. I was used to not having a big celebration, so it was fine with me to just come to say hi and leave. Come to think of it, they never even so much as said happy birthday to me. 
I sighed and I drove home. After I got home, I put the box in my dresser and I looked at the time. It was about 9.20. I wasn't tired enough to sleep and all my friends were out of town. I looked at the box as it seemed to light up the room. I really wanted to see what was inside that box that my grandpa didn't want me to see. I picked up the box and shook it a little. I felt like a little kid who found a Christmas present a few days before Christmas. I didn't want to break it of course, so I only did it once or twice, but shaking it wasn't really enough. I just wanted to open it and see what was in there. Part of me thought it could be a family secret that I don't even want to know about. Another part of me thought maybe nothing was in there at all and the whole point of the gift is that grandpa gave me a symbol for what he really meant. This struggle to open the box or not to open the box went on for about a month when I finally decided. I kept the box hidden so none of my roommates saw it and tried to open it. I kept it in a compartment under my desk. I also kept money in there too. So one day in class, I left a little earlier than usual and I walked to my dorm. I walked through the empty halls with this terrible feeling in my spine. I felt like someone was watching me. I felt like grandpa was watching me. I felt my heart beat louder and louder with each step. I kept on looking behind me to see if someone was there. The halls were fully empty. Not even the janitors were there. My heart beat faster every second and I heard a voice behind me saying, I know what you're going to do. I jumped and looked behind me in every possible direction, yet no one was there. My heart was racing and I just lost it. I began running through the halls of my dorm, just wishing someone was here. I felt like yelling. I had never felt so alone in my life. I had forgotten fully about the box and all I wanted to do now was to break down and cry. I just wanted to find one single person. I finally was at my door. Incidentally, I didn't even know I was going in that direction. I opened the door and the only thing I could think of was opening that damned box. I just wanted it to be over and done with. I walked slowly to the box, almost like I was afraid of it. I was at my desk and I opened the compartment with it inside. And there was a note on top of it that said, don't even think about it. I automatically knew Grandpa put that there. How the fuck did he know about this? He's never even set foot in my dorm before. I said out loud. I held the box tightly with my hands, reached its lock and began to open it. Suddenly, I heard the phone ringing. It was my older sister. I picked up the phone and she was crying. Mary, 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 are you okay? What happened? I asked worriedly. David, Grandpa is dead. I looked at the box and dropped it. What? That's impossible. He had to have... I stopped. Mary continued to cry and I offered to come get her. She said no. I put the box back where it was and sat down on the couch. I looked at the note that he left. I wondered when he would have time to write this and I threw it on the floor. And then I realized he wrote on the back as well. I guess I owe you an explanation, don't I? Well, this box has something inside of it, but it's always different for everyone. 
what this box is, is a gateway into your past and future. I wanted to tell you right then and there, but I was afraid you'd think I'd just gone senile. It's better you know now. I'm probably sitting next to you as you read this, but listen. One reason why I don't want you opening this is because when I was your age, all I did was use the box. Once you use it, you can't stop. You'll forget about your life, your job, and your friends. And eventually, the future you'll see will only be looking into the box, trying to change your past. I tried getting rid of this box, but I just couldn't. I needed it after a while. I had the power to change anything that happened. And after you came into my life, I constantly used the box to protect you. If you got bullied on one day, I'd keep you home from school. If you were supposed to get hurt one day, I'd tell you to stay in bed. I've tried to protect you so much after I saw what your fate would have been if I hadn't gotten involved. I just wanted to say that, David, I love you. I know you might not have understood everything I did growing up, but now I hope you know how much I cared for you. Please, don't use the box. Just protect it with your life. And David, please, clean your room. It's worse than your room at home. I held the box tightly and put it back in my desk. I promise I'll never use it. I whispered. And in the mist, I heard a faint voice saying, I Mate, I had a blast narrating these tales, and those who've been listening to me for a while now will know how much I love creepy poetry. And this poem, Go to Sleep Child, has to be one of my favorites. I just love its progression, its narrative rhythm, and tongue-in-cheek ending. And I hope you loved it too. So folks, what do you think of the rest of the tales? The tale about escaping into oblivion and fighting the monster that is depression. The box that saw his grandpa sacrifice himself in order to save his grandson. Or the ghosts that haunt the mound, echoes of lives lost. <laughs> I love creepy tales. Did you have a favorite? Now you epic people, if you enjoy what I do, subscribe for three episodes weekly. And if you've got 10 seconds, leave an iTunes review. If you love what I do, swing on by my Patreon, where every single donation flies right back into production and paying for ongoing maintenance like websites and subscriptions. And first up in my Patreon crew, leading the charge is Maya, my old Night Tea Titan. Goodness gracious me, talk about someone special. The queen of cats, Maya mate, you help this podcast excel, grow, and cover a hefty chunk of maintenance costs where would this podcast be without you? Whether it's website costs, new plugins, or giving me the opportunity to try something risky with different pieces of work, that's all thanks to you. I'm ever grateful to have your support, mate, 
and especially at this tier, you are jaw-droppingly brilliant. And my white two warlord, Leza Bazooka Bauer. Cheers, mate, for your epic level of support. I've been purchasing new audio stings, music, which you've heard today, and improving my audio with some specialist tools as well. All thanks to yours truly. You are amazing. And never forget that, buddy. Cheers, Leza. And my old grain forces the spirit energy that flows through my fingertips upon every upload. I have Chad Warren. Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero. Guys and gals, ghosts and ghouls, cryptids and kryptons, have a kick-ass Wednesday. See you Friday for more creepy, and as always, till next we meet.